went uh, and visited my brother and my sister-in-law over Thanksgiving. It turns out my sister-in-law is still apparently a regular listener of the podcast. Which is... Ooh. Sorry, that's just the noise I make when I remember that people know I exist. Yes. How's your so sister enjoying it? Or your sister-in-law? I don't know. She, we don't talk about it directly. It was just my brother being like, you know, still listens to this thing. I don't listen to it as your brother. I don't care enough that uh, I that she listens to it. So thought you should know. So someone you have never met who is a close relation of mine knows all about you, Nick. I'm okay with that. I appreciate the support, however distant it may be. Because, I mean, yeah, we've done not much to extend our reach. And yet, people listen. Now... Are we being reminded of this by close friends and family members who probably feel some sort of extra obligation to listen? Sure, but I'll take it. I'll take whatever attention I can get. I need it so badly. I keep daring you to give people your Venmo and see how much money you make. Oh, yeah. Well, we talked about that. Hey, hey, everybody. Let's do this two ways. First of all, this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is a show where technically we watch the Big Bang Theory and you know, criticize the episodes or, you know, pick them apart or whatever. Uh, but also, as, as listeners know, boy, we we don't love the show. We don't hate it as much as some people might say, but we'd usually rather talk about just about anything else. And uh, Kyle, I just totally blanked out. Oh, my God. We were talking about Thanksgiving and supporters. And what? Oh, right. I probably wanted to blank it out. So if anyone... I won't let you off that easily. If anyone wants to just easily support the podcast and Kyle is trusting me to move these funds into to a mutual account for us, hey, I'm at Hide Thoughts. My name, Thoughts. But also, don't feel like you should do that because we should really set up a separate thing. Because, yeah, I mean, hey, hey, listeners, I, I might just create... Okay. Uh, Not to be confused with Hide Thoughts, T-H-O-T-S, which is his OnlyFans account. Oh, Kyle... Kyle, never mind supporting the podcast anymore. <laughs> Kyle, oh baby, oh god, that's happening. Especially, so, as, as listeners may know if they've been paying attention long enough, Kyle here. Kyle, close your ears for a second. Oh, hot rock and bod, that guy. He hits the gym, he's tight, he makes it work. Not me, until recently. I'm starting it. I'm starting to get there. 40 is a great time to accept that your body occasionally needs movement. Uh, and so if, if you were to join, yes, my, my OnlyFans hide T-H-O-T-S, you'll see my body get tighter in uh, real time. And, you know, you can discourage me, too, if it gets too tight. You know, mold my body however you like. But, yeah, we should set up um, another thing. Because let's, you know, I, I looked for help in setting up a Patreon. I didn't follow through. And why that? We'll just create uh, a specific Venmo for us, and if people want to donate, we'll let them. So, hey, watch out for that, listeners. But, you know, we don't just beg for money on the show for the first time after doing it for almost eight years. We, we also watch the show. Content. Yeah. And, um, Kyle, th- today we watched uh, Season 7, Episode 20 of The Big Bang Theory, uh, officially titled The Relationship Diremption. I had to look up what the fuck diremption means. I don't think I've ever seen that word in my life. I don't know. Are we sure that's... Well, you looked it up. What does I did. it mean? A sharp division into two parts. Disjunction. Separation. So, I don't know. It's kind of applicable. We'll get into it. You know, it's not not applicable, I guess. So, 
But, uh, Kyle, so, wait, I'll read the short summary first. Then we'll get into our feelings and think about how we feel. So, the official, unofficial fan summary from the fan official, unofficial wiki is... Sheldon is depressed over his lack of progress in his 20 years of work on string theory. Howard and Bernadette go out with Raj and Emily, new character, who had an earlier very embarrassing date with Howard. Now, what this leaves out is that, unfortunately, within three minutes of the episode starting, I realized that I identify most with Kripke, and I just want to be him, because... It starts with uh, the gang uh, hanging out in the cafeteria, kind of musing about their fields, and Sheldon being disappointed that... Uh, and I can't remember, like, the short summary thinks cut this out, but I feel like someone brought him some sort of update about a string theory thing. But the fact is that there have been well, no... Well, about all the other things. that So they were basically updating him on all of the other theories of the universe that he could have been pursuing instead that have all had these as- astonishing new scientific discoveries around uh, them. Meanwhile, he toils and toils with no meaningful uh, discoveries or results. Yes. And um, Kripke is kind of making fun of him for this. Uh, and then maybe it's Leonard. One of them points out, hey, you you study string theory too. Who are you to laugh? And Kripke says, well, what I do is I convince a university that I can prove the unprovable. I get grant money for it. And then in his uh, very thick speech impediment says, and then I spend all the money on liquor and broads, or as he says it, wicku and broads. And uh, hearing that, I'm like, Kripke, you and me are of the same cloth. <laughs> this is, you know, these other nerds, it's not like he doesn't take his work seriously, right? But he also, he knows what he needs to get it done. And so that I, I genuinely appreciate about him. Also, you know, I do, I do like, I wish there was more of Kripke. Because, like, I, I've complained before that I don't really think he makes sense as an antagonist, but... I still like him as an antagonist. I don't know. I still like someone that is not the gang making fun of the gang. Yeah. I guess it is weird that he was only in this episode at the beginning. Like, usually when he appears, he is the focus of the episode. So the fact that he was there at the beginning and there at the end and then absent for the entirety of the rest is like, are you are you setting up a Kripke arc for later in the season? Is that why he's here? Or is he, like, contracted that you have to, you know pay that actor you know a certain number for a certain number of episodes a season so you might as well use them i don't know the background of it but kyle i would 100 percent believe that that second theory there that like he's guaranteed at least one a season or however many lines you know like yeah you have to go find your own work actor who plays kripke but we'll help you keep your sag card if you stay on the show that whole thing um but yeah i i like him well enough but so to get to the actual meat of the episode I think the short summary does a good enough job here. Uh, Sheldon, yeah, he he doesn't really, like, have a crisis or anything. He's, he's flirting with the idea of other fields. And, you know, to the extent that they can support him in his little journey, you know, Penny tries giving him a makeover. They encourage him to, like, look into some other stuff. They encourage him to maybe just take his time and not yeah, rush did in. You, did you say they're trying, they're, like, the whole joke is that it's like he's going through a breakup with string theory? Right. I did not say that, but you're right. That That is more explicit. Because makeover would seem a little, like, a non sequitur. Yeah. No, they are treating it like it is an actual breakup. And actually, that persists where he even ends up in an ill-advised one-night stand. And, like... You know, I don't think the the direct 
comparison really works throughout, but at least it's a consistent joke. And I mean, to to shorten it, it's later on they end up drinking wine to like, is it to celebrate his his breakup, his his new life? But yeah, I think it's just uh, might as well, right? Yeah, and then he ends up drinking, you know, as, as Sheldon puts it, not that much, no more than Penny, uh, which is obviously enough to get him completely hammered. And and he he wakes up, and this is one of the the end scenes. He's he's in his bed, but you can only see him. He's disheveled and shirtless, his arm outstretched. And I thought maybe he was going to recoil from the sin of having like slept in the same bed as a like fully clothed, vibrating with anticipation Amy. But no, no, it's so much more lurid than that. He wakes up. Oh, I guess kind of skipped over the setting up joke for this. Because apparently, geology is is the hilarious little the Kardashians of the science world. I guess is how they describe it. You know, yes. it, it's just it's, like they're not real celebrities. Geology is not a real science. Exactly. But nonetheless, Sheldon wakes up, and what is this? Oh, his his arm is under a geology book that, as Leonard describes, he was reading very loudly throughout the evening. And, yeah, he leaves his room to do his little walk of shame as Leonard gets to, you know, do the whole, Ooh, what happened to you last night? So they, they do commit to the bit. I appreciate that much, at least. And then, um, yeah, there's not really a C plot in this one. The B plot, which, you know, actually, I, I want to say I like this episode. I feel like this one uh, was, was levitous enough and didn't try to put in enough major... Uh, completely uninteresting character development that I, I think this is, you know, uh, uh, at least a top half uh, Big Bang Theory episode, even though yeah, I don't think it's cute. remarkable. But anyway, so okay. this, yeah, and this, so this episode continues um, Raj, Raj's date with um, Emily, and I guess Lucy's been written out of the show because, as, as Raj explains, oh, when I told Emily I was seeing another lady, she went, oh, hey, that's fine. And when I told uh, Lucy that I was dating another lady, she was less cool with it. Especially when I said, hey, why can't you be more like Emily? <laughs> and so, um, unless there's a twist, I think Lucy is gone. Kate Micucci moved on to better things. But they have a Lucy, not Lucy, Emily and Raj have a double date with Wallowitz and Bernadette. And I think, I think Wallowitz should have suffered more in this episode. Because I feel like you know, he's always pretty wormy, but his, not his indignation, his hurt here is, I think, a little extra unjustified because when uh, they have their date, uh, Raj, not sorry, uh, uh, Wallowitz and Bernadette get to the restaurant first. And Bernadette is already kind of trying to settle down Wallowitz a bit, who was like really eager to point out that Raj is probably going to fuck this up somehow. And Raj, even before they go out, says, hey, could you not talk shit about me throughout the entire date like is your way so maybe it goes well? And that is the kind of tension leading into it. But it gets totally flipped around when, um, as uh, Emily and Raj arrive, uh, Wallowitz realizes he has met this woman before and it was a shameful encounter. And after a little bit of kind of dancing around it and not really being able to make the connection... Uh, Emily finally goes, oh, you, you came to my apartment for a blind date. You went into my bathroom. You shit and shit and shit. 
And then, uh, as Wallowitz admits, he, he crawled out the window to avoid the embarrassment, which I guess is just a signature move among nerds in this, in this show. And that, uh, apparently these were not normal shits or Emily, uh, is just a, a real fun jokester because she does tell Wallowitz that, yeah, because of his antics, she never got her security deposit back, which, you know, it has to be a joke because otherwise we're talking about poor Emily walks in and sees shit that she was never able to clean from the walls. Shit that must have immediately permeated multiple surfaces in the bathroom. Um, well, I was just assuming major, so he clogged the toilet. They, they're very specific that he clogged the toilet. I just assumed water damage. Yeah, you know, I, you're right about I forgot about the specific clogging. And Kyle, I want to focus on this. I how often how often does that actually happen that someone is taking such a <laughs> a thick solid mighty shit that a toilet cuz like that's the toilet's whole job and I don't like I I just Kyle, you know, I'm not going to ask you to admit to any of your own instances, but just like throughout your life, how many times have you experienced others clogging toilets with their dumps and not with like other Never. material but i have i have heard about it happening on dates so it is a real thing that occasionally happens in the grand scheme of dates i also feel like it makes sense to me that it's more likely to happen with a and i'm so sorry listeners uh to go into the logistics of this i won't get like too graphic but it makes sense to me that it would be like a like a stranger or an acquaintance's toilet because with your own toilet right you know what that puppy can take you've put it through the paces you like know like when you maybe need to give it an extra safety flush but you know you're using a stranger's toilet you don't know what, what their like water it, pressure or and they have or they have sink. delicate narrow luxury pipes like that's I, I mean, you are right that in that case, you shouldn't really blame yourself. You should blame, blame the other person's shit. But, like, yes, it's like, you know, sometimes, you know, the toilet, the water flow in the top part isn't as, you know, consistent. I'm making it sound like this is something I have done. And I want to be clear it is not. I have, I'm just saying. I'm. Yeah, listeners, I'm diarrhea all the way. I don't clog nothing. Don't you sweat it. But, uh... But yeah, sure, I could totally believe it that, uh, that, you know, but we should move on. Here's the real thing. I was disappointed. Maybe disappointed is not quite the right word. But when Wallowitz looked at this attractive redheaded woman walking to this restaurant and turned to uh, Bernadette and said immediately, whatever you hear tonight, just remember that I love you very much. I thought, oh my God, what did he do to this woman? Same. You know, remember this is this is famous sex fest wallow. Well, exactly. Yeah, we're about to laugh and clap. It was probably a disturbing sexual assault. <laughs> yes, it was like it was like, and it get it kept getting worse because it was like she's a dermatologist, and I was like, oh my God, what did he do to this woman during a during a dermatology consultation? And it, it turned out yes to be the toilet thing, which I guess was the safest of all jokes, but yeah, really. Really, I thought it would have been just so much more on brand. It's just it's, it, they keep, it, they built up worse, ga- right? They gas. I'm just saying this show is constantly gaslighting us about season one, season two. Wallowitz. It is just constantly trying to retcon just how much of a creep he was, and I feel like this is another example of that, where it's like, where it's like this is a guy who, as 
he himself admits has had regular conversations with the HR department at the college around what is and is not inappropriate workplace behavior. Well, so, so Kyle, you're, you're absolutely right. And it also makes me wonder that, you know, he was set up on a blind date. Who hates Emily so much <laughs> that, yes. that again, you know, we're absent the retconning and going back in time to where you and I both know that Wallowitz was a fucking creep. And somebody's like, hey, yeah, got like get this totally fucking dirty ass grabber and set him up with Emily because she is, you know, ruined all of our lives and needs to be punished. Um, and instead, yeah, it's like he doesn't do anything creepy at all. He's just embarrassed and it doesn't fit with what he was. And, you know, I guess it's good that like, I guess it's good in a way that the show is like, maybe, maybe it's not so fun to have a character who is going to spend the entire series just um, unsuccessfully trying to finger people who don't want it. But yeah, just, but we saw that, you know, <laughs> like you say, they, they retcon it, but we have that experience in history with him. And when he talks about horrible things he's done, I, I will never assume it was something innocent or cute. <laughs> um, that said, the thing that bothers me so much about Wallowitz in this episode, though, is, you know, that all comes out and nobody else is really shocked or upset by it. They just think it's kind of funny. Uh, and they actually move on really quickly, as is pointed out, when Wallowitz ends up not being able to let it go. And Bernadette is like, no, we that was like 10 minutes ago. We were talking about something else. You brought it back up. And the way that Wallowitz seems so genuinely hurt. I mean, not just humiliate, like, well, I guess humiliated when, like, his, like, the whole thing was he was, there was this risk that he was going to ruin everything with, for Raj just by being obnoxious. And he doesn't even get his comeuppance. You know, he gets goofed on by somebody who apparently holds no hard feelings and he... Although she does, she is very quick to... I mean, I get what you're saying. I guess here's my... Is like, imagine that you were Emily in this situation and you happened to realize that the person sitting across from you had, you know, uh, you know, had some sort of diarrhea-based incident in the past that was mostly the only your only other interaction with them would you then immediately reveal that to the other people at the table their dearest friends well we're not also a friend of theirs i wouldn't kyle and she doesn't because it takes her a long time to figure it out they give each other a lot of outs um and but you know i guess you're still right because she can't let it go and eventually does go from like hey what's the connection here who are we to this yeah, like face of disgust. The second she realizes who she is, she immediately tells them all like why. And she's not like, oh, like, I don't know. It again, it doesn't well, I, matter. It's for the sake of being I, funny. But if I it were think me, you're right. I would give the other person the pass and be like, oh, I I was you're right. I totally had you confused with someone else. And then maybe later as we were getting up, I would slip them a note that says, I own you now. But that, you know. Okay. That, well, so I think you I think I agree with you in general. But I want to make this more specific. Would you grant that grace to Wallowitz? Well, no. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I know what Wallowitz is. Apparently she doesn't, which is, again, part of the whole weird thing in this whole scenario. Yeah. Uh, 
Like, actually, Wallowitz, you know, Wall- the, you know what a funnier joke would have been? Uh, a really dark but really funny joke? It would have been for him to go, oh, you're that redhead. I thought you were the other redhead. No, that's fine. Please tell everyone this story. It could have been so much worse. That would have like, been great. I am, so, I am so lucky to only be known <laughs> as the person who destroyed your toilet. Well, you know, you, what would be really interesting for this show to do, which I doubt it ever will, because, you know, like we've already talked about, they're really just trying to ignore what a fucking pervert Wallowitz was for the first, like, five seasons or whatever. But, like, if they had, like, just an episode or even an arc where Wallowitz's crime started catching up with him and Bernadette had to, like, reckon with it and be like, I am married to someone who, unbeknownst to me, was for the first 25 or 30 years of his life a routine sexual assaulter, but now he's the man I love. And can I accept who he is now and forgive him for his sins? Uh, But that'll never happen. I think they did, like, if I recall correctly, they did, like, half an episode of that. But it, it was not very convincing. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't enough of uh, stories right. if, with him if, just walking if, with his dick out. If, like, if like he met one of his, like, former students or uh, teacher's assistants or something like that, and they were, like, a depressed alcoholic, and they were like, you, you ruined my life. I was never able to work in academia again because of how you... I mean, now I'm basically describing the last season of BoJack Horseman, so it would be very dark. Oh, I was but, going with Tar, but... <laughs> yeah, also... Yeah, similar, similar vibe. Ah, man. That Kate Blanchett, though. What a fucking... Ah, can't get enough of her. Anyway. Well, you know, we've we've done the larger contours here. And I I think I've said enough of my piece of Wallowitz and we've picked him apart a little bit. I don't know. How do you feel about the rest of this? We didn't get too much into the A-plot, I guess. I don't know. Makeover is fine. I mean, like I said, yeah, it's interesting to see... uh... It's interesting to see Sheldon try to do something new or different. I bet it doesn't last. And then my only other... Did we talk about how he drunk dials Stephen Hawking? Because that no, that's, went on a little long. It did. And I, that's the, the, the last bit I think we have to, to get to. And do you want to describe that? I think it's like... Basically the joke is... Like the joke is Sheldon has gotten really drunk and done a bunch of things he regrets. Which first is... Yeah, first is reading a geology book, and the second is uh, he realizes that he drunk dialed Stephen Hawking, and then we get first we get a like short flashback where we get a little of that what that message sounded like, and then of course the entire end credits is just like the longer extended cut where I'm assuming they were just like gave what's his name a microphone, Jim Parsons, and we're like just pretend you're drunk and just say whatever for a while, and I don't remember any of the jokes. Well, that's not. I don't remember any of them being funny, but there well, were various jokes, such as, "Hey, why didn't you pick up the phone?" The, oh, never mind. I remember. Well, I think it, it starts to get into him, like through, over a few phone calls, like, you know, I really like the word "geode." That's a fun word, "geode." And then later on, like, what if you abandoned black holes and I abandoned string theory and we just like ran off together and made fries or sold fries for a while. Like, really wanting to, you know, draw Hawking into abandoning his passion as well so they could be new best buddies together. 
and yeah, it does go on way too long. And like the final line is, you know, a, a robot voice saying, what a jackass. And so, yeah, it's, it's okay. I feel like, you know, I didn't hate that part. I feel like the episode would have been better without it. But it just was unnecessary. But yeah, I don't know. It's, what else? Emily, so far, 100% normal. Like, I think, you know, like, unlike Kate Micucci's character, Lucy, who um, is incredibly anxious and, I don't know, seems to be nerdy to some degree, at least, other than just having some sort of anxiety disorder. Emily, so far, oh, I don't know, you know, could be anybody. She She's a dermatologist, she's friendly, she's pretty, uh, don't know anything about her deal yet. So, hoping to learn more about that, but, um, yeah, I don't know, she's she's fine, she's fine. Uh, also, when, when Sheldon's getting his haircut, Amy comes in and says, Oh my god, he can't look like that. All the girls I'm going to have to fend off. And Sheldon decides he's too hot and that he, he shouldn't follow through with the makeover. So, lol, 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 lol. Um, I don't know. Kyle? Yeah, I think we can move on. Yeah. permission. I set you free. This one was fine. Fine. It was, it was okay. I guess it also had... Well, no, it didn't. I started to say, maybe it continued the theme from last week of like actually like having synchronicity between the A and B plot, but that's not really true, is it? There, there's not a lot. There's no real thematic connection between the two. No, I think the, the, the closest it comes, you know, it's not thematic at all, is at the end, um, there is a scene, which I guess we didn't talk about, is Sheldon and Wallowitz are... Uh, well, not alone, not alone, because they're with each other, but they're they're at the cafeteria at Caltech. Just the two of them. Just the two of them, kind of uh, commiserating about their rough nights, where, you know, Wallowitz is like, oh yeah, I ran into a woman whose apartment I destroyed with my feces, and Sheldon's like, oh yeah, I dabbled with geology and left a bunch of embarrassing voice messages on Stephen King's uh, not Stephen King Stephen Hawking's phone hey you know what the only difference between a Stephen King and a Stephen Hawking is the ha one of them must be funnier than the other anyway um let's move on let's get into things that we actually enjoy uh unless I don't know is there anything else in between you want to discuss before we're going to our our nerdy recommendations uh nope I think I'm good all right I have one queued up. I'm kind of cheating. Okay, so this is one of those uh, ones. Stardew Valley again? It is not Stardew Valley again. It is another video game. And this is another one of those where, like, I haven't played all of it. And so it could be one of the one of those that I recommend. And then later on, I'm like, whoops, I was wrong. It sucks. Technically, I've done one playthrough so far, which I'll talk about in a second. But the game I'm recommending that I finally started playing last weekend is Disco Elysium. Which, Kyle, have you played this game at all yet? I have played it. Oh, Kyle, what did you think about this game? I thought it was fine. Maybe a little overhyped. Oh, alright. Well then, fuck you. I'm loving it so far. <laughs> um, you know, maybe overhyped. I think the, the only thing that is a little disappointing to me so far is... I expected it to be narrative heavy, but I didn't think it was going to be almost exclusively narrative. Like, I'm coming to accept that. I wish there was a little bit more variety to the gameplay, I guess. But I'm getting ahead of myself. For anyone who doesn't already know, this game came out like, I don't know, three or four years ago. And it is a top-down isometric role-playing game. 
which were, I think, pretty popular in like the late 90s. Uh, I have never played... Oh my god, I'm forgetting the name of it all of a sudden. The super uh, super famous Dungeons & Dragons game that was like a piece Baldur's of... Baldur's Gate. No, not Baldur's Gate. The older Planescape. one. Planescape, yes. Planescape, Torment. I think, was after Baldur's Gate, but yeah. Oh, after the first one, I guess. I thought you meant the newest one, but yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, Planescape Torment. Which I did never play it, but apparently it was hugely influential, and it's a shame that not more people played it, because it was so much based on story and the character's own introspection and decision-making. And uh, that is this game all the way, not just in a, a narrative way, though, but in like an actual gameplay way. And the way I wanted to try to describe this is that like, you know, the very basics are that you play a detective who wakes up in a hotel room and you apparently had a hangover so disastrous from however long of binge drinking that you have almost complete amnesia. And so you discover that you were um, in the middle of a murder investigation that you didn't do much investigating. And now, um, not your partner, but someone from another precinct that you, you are you know, partnered with um, is, is there to go over it with you. And so you are you know, trying to do your job as a detective, but also trying to do it through the lens of someone who is pretty fundamentally miserable and fucked up. And when I say that it's not just a narrative thing, but that it affects gameplay is that um, your, your skills in this game, like there's almost no combat. Like I have had combat like situations, but you know, I've never had to just punch or kick somebody in a traditional gameplay style. Instead, uh, all of your abilities are almost all based on, some sort of mental aspect you know even the even the physical abilities have more to do with your perception and pain tolerance and sensitivity and things than they do with your actual ability to like manipulate things in the world and the way that comes into play is that you know your their game does have a narrator but it's not so much a traditional narrator as it is the self-loathing voice inside of your own head. One of the many voices inside of your own head. And the way that these abilities work is that they will affect how you perceive the world, and that affects your interactions. And when I say I've technically done one playthrough, so I started my first run as... You're given three archetypes you can choose from if you don't want to build your own character. You can do the, the smarty pants logic driven one. You can do the more freewheeling, sensitive people person one. Or you can do like the physically tough, push them around kind of character. And I started with the, the more sensitive one. And so his abilities have more to do with um, reading people, empathizing with them, you know, following your instincts, getting vibes, that kind of thing. And. What that turns into gameplay-wise is that while you're speaking with people, while you're investigating or whatever, you know, you'll just have more dialogue options pop about your observations. But again, because it's your point of view as a miserable, self-loathing alcoholic, those observations are very uh, skewed. And so, for instance, when I was confronting a group of uh, union roughnecks 
who may or may not have been involved in a murder. Um, the voice in my head that I've been following as my instinct, and you don't have to listen to the suggestions you're given, you know, you get options about what you want to do next, but the suggestions have been working out pretty well. And I got to a point where out of desperation and not being able to do anything to influence these roughnecks, uh, the voice inside of my head said, Hey man, you know, it'll really get them to take you seriously. You put your gun in your mouth and you show them just how serious you are. And I'm like, all right, voice in my head. Let's see if that scares him. Um, And it does, but they're still like, he's not going to do it. And so what if he does? And then the voice in the head is like, you know what? You let them know that they're really going to respect you by the time you pull that trigger. And I'm like, all right, voice in my head. I'm going to trust you on this one. Uh, And I I pull the trigger assuming there's got to be some sort of fun little goof that's about to happen you ended the game i assume i ended the screen goes black deranged cop shoots himself in head mystery remains unsolved (laughs) and i love it (laughs) you know it doesn't i don't feel betrayed or misled at all because another thing is that like again you're you're like i said this is from a very skewed perspective and for me to trust that voice is silly when I know how the world works, but also it's, you know, fun to listen to. And, you know, I could have just like loaded my last save and moved on, but I was so curious about what it would be to try another character type that I just started a new game with a more logic-based guy. And, you know, I was wondering how big of a difference the abilities really made and whether you were doing substantially the, the exact same things, just with like slightly different dialogue options. Um, but, you know, on my second start of a run i'm doing entirely different ways of approaching the investigation and it's not just because i have like the experience of the first playthrough but because again like playing as the much more logical type who isn't as good with people i'm not getting as much information from people on the streets um but i am able to deduce more and can you know do more with that less information and so is it the same game and investigation? Yeah, but also, you know, whether I like it or not, uh, my character is approaching it in a very different manner. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I have the one criticism that I wish there were more gameplay to it. It's almost, I don't want to call it a visual novel, uh, but it's a step removed from that and where it is in incredibly complex choose your own adventure is what it feels like you know you are mostly picking dialogue options out of menus and you know the order in which you do it matters and uh so you have to consider you know whether asking one question is gonna put somebody on guard before you ask another question and you know whether you want to do that vice versa so maybe they keep opening up to you but yeah um oh and the sense of humor is great uh, the coarseness is something I really appreciate. Like, you know, I, hey, I'm an old man. I've got sensitive feelings. I don't know if I need a lot of salty language in my gameplay anymore. But I also really like that, I don't know, they don't hold back. Like, you're going to get, I, I guess you, you get your, your, your fucks and shits and bitches and cunts and all those things. The only thing that they uh, blur out at all is, is like actual slurs. And um, I don't know. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that at all. 
it, but I do like how, yeah, it's, if you're meeting nasty, angry people, they speak to you in a nasty, angry manner, and it doesn't, apparently this whole game was, like, not produced, but um, helmed, I guess, by a, a novelist, and so it makes a lot of sense to me that I'm really appreciating the, the dialogue and writing, and uh, on a slightly dark note, I find that um, the the horrible, discouraging voice that's uh, constantly belittling you and telling you to make bad decisions, oh, you know, surprisingly reminiscent of my own struggles with depression and whatnot. I'm not a crippling alcoholic, thank goodness, but I, I like how it seems to be a fairly accurate, unfiltered version of self-loathing that I uncomfortably relate to and appreciate nonetheless that it has been presented this way so i'll stop because i could say more but why and uh, yeah disco elysium i'm really really enjoying it kyle yeah, your turn I, well i just wanted to say i think it is a, it is obviously i think there's just something well i have this very specific and annoying stupid reason not to like games like that same reason actually that i'm having trouble with Baldur's Gate 3 which is i don't like games where you have to watch walk animations in isometric oh no that part blows <laughs> kyle you were 100 that is hands down the most frustrating oh like, yeah just having to click a button and then watch that and anytime you're like oh well i need to backtrack it's just hell because it's just yeah like, i should be able to get from here to there but well, in order to do that okay and I'll, I'll add on to that too to say that like not only is that walking annoying but some of the map is is really difficult to read because you know it looks 3d but you're still in like a top-down isometric world and so it's hard to kind of tell depth sometimes and where objects are um i've yelled a couple times trying to get my character to like walk up or down a flight of stairs that seems so obvious to me and yet just i struggle to get up and and so yeah things like that totally suck i'll i'll give you that um and I just, like you said, I don't like any story where I can't see all the parts play out. But that's just because I'm OCD. But I, it's obviously a good game. And I will say, I, the one time, I, I'd still have it on my PS5. I'm sure I'll finish a playthrough one of these days. But I got as far as um, a conversation where I gave my character such an existential crisis, they decided to quit being a cop. And that ended the game. Nice. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I, I love that... He was just like, that's right, why am I doing this? I could contribute to the world more other ways. And it was like, game over. Yeah, it's... I, I like how it doesn't... I don't know. I, I'm trying to avoid saying hand-holding, so I don't know if that's like the right phrasing here, but that it allows you to just veer off course. Or like, you know, like a silly thing too is like... um In, in my my second run through uh, that I'm currently on. Like there's a character that I'm talking to that I had no ability to talk to the first time because those options were just close to me. And it's basically one of the first characters you meet, this guy that manages the hotel you're at, or at least the hotel cafeteria, apparently hit on one of his employees and she got uncomfortable and quit. Um, and... Uh, that the game, I guess, not even the internal voice, but like an editorial note while you're choosing whether to go on this quest to insert yourself 
as some sort of almost like creepy boyfriend father-like figure who's going to try to solve all the problems between these two. Like none of the options sounded good, but there's a note like, you're really going to love this quest. Just go for it. Trust us. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I guess I'll be a creep if you think it's fun. And I don't know. I like that sense of humor too. So um, yeah, Kyle, your turn. So I don't have anything that good or cool, but I will. So um, just as long as we're talking about video games and supporting video games and video game stuff. Um, recently, uh, uh, a group of people who I followed for a long time. So there's this magazine online called Escapist Magazine. Um, oh, did you hear okay. about this, Nick? I think you informed me of this. I don't think so, but maybe. Anyway, there was this magazine, Escapist Magazine, that... Uh, you know, it's been around for a thousand years. I think I first started watching them in college over ten years ago. Um, oh, to mostly, correct. I don't think you informed me of Escapist, but the recent development. Right, and uh, they uh, they do video game reviews and stuff like that. And you know, there are ten thousand places you could go for video game reviews. We all have our favorites. Nick likes Donkey. I like this guy, Zero Punctuation, aka Yahtzee, uh, and. Um, you know, so I would go to that site basically every week for like the last ten years to watch whatever uh, video game he was reviewing. Despite the fact that nine times out of ten, I was never going to play that game. It's just been a little check, a little Wednesday treat for me for like forever. And uh, anyway, recently, uh, and they had some other cool like, well, so the site had its ups and downs. Like for a long time, it was basically barren because everybody left the site except for the one guy making the video reviews. And then eventually a bunch of people came back and put a lot of work into like revamping it and redefining it. Uh, And then like, you know, uh, a week ago, um, they laid off the, the main editor of all of the videos, like the editor in chief of the whole website. And when they laid him off, like, all of the employees who make all of the video content under him were like, you know what? This is stupid. If he leaves, we all leave too. So basically, the site is dead now, but they have started their own YouTube channel called Second Wind, um, where they're basically offering all the same content. But now they're like, you know, an an independent, fan-funded, you know, uh, third-party service. I think that, you know, I appreciate that. I also think it's... um, just generally you know a good direction for journalism of any kind games journalism sure you know just going the the independent as opposed to corporate route sure yeah it's it's like a real bummer the way things went down with escapist but i agree that you know hopefully they can keep momentum because this you know the phoenix from the ashes or whatever it seems like a positive development in spite of shitty circumstances so that's my, if you want like an artistic recommendation, I, I just read a book called Red Country, which is a really good fantasy novel, but is dependent on like you reading like all of the other ones before it in the series that in order to appreciate it. And that's by Joe Abercrombie. But if you read, you know, the five books preceding it, which are all themselves pretty good, then Red Country is also very, very good as like a pseudo a pseudo western fantasy novel about you know an incredibly violent man with a haunted past on a quest to you know try to do one good thing and what was that again red country red country is the name of the novel all right you know if we're talking novels i'm almost on my infinite quest of low attention span to finish wuthering heights oh shit what's got you reading that 
I wanted to get closer to to Kate Bush, who wrote the song <laughs> Wuthering Heights. God bless you. <laughs> it's a good book. Your like reasons I... for doing things are so pure sometimes. <laughs> have you seen the? Are you heard the song or seen the video? Because for... of you, of course I have. Oh, great! Yeah, well, you, were you the know, person I. I was like, I do not get this at all, but this is obviously very important to you, so I will, uh, yeah, cool, guys, cool. Well, you know, I'm putting in, I think, too much work, because my understanding is that when she wrote that song, she had not read Wuthering Heights. I think she'd seen part of an adaptation on the BBC and just rolled with it. (laughs) She was like, oh, there's a dude named Heathcliff. I'll sing about that guy for a while. Yeah, and that Heathcliff, oh. You know what? I, I can never tell in these can't see when exactly the time period was it feels like mid 1800s or something i don't know but they keep you know describing heathcliff as having you know kind of a villainous character and they keep referring to his dark hair and dark features and that's one of those things where i'm like this doesn't seem racist but i also really don't like the way that you're i i idealizing fair-skinned blonde people as angels and you know someone who has a more swarthy complexion is in league with the devil but I don't know. I wasn't alive then, so <laughs> he's a motherfucker. Give him what he owes, like deserves, I guess. Yeah, he's had a hard life. He has. He, you know what? A, a motherfucker who's earned his right to be a motherfucker, I guess. Like, yes. would it be better if he weren't? Sure, but you can't fault him for being what he is. Oh boy, that makes me consider. I'm sure I will never do it, but that does make me think about what it would take for me to go back and read Wuthering Heights. Are we yeah. about to start a book club? Are we going to do a second podcast where we talk shit about classic literature? Uh, is that Charlotte or Emily Bronte? Which one? I have to double check, but I'm pretty sure it's Emily. Okay. I started to say, I refuse to ever read Jane Eyre again. But I, you might be able to talk me into doing Wuthering Heights. A All literature. Right. Us doing, yep. I what what a 180 with that. Can you imagine saying the guys who do the classic who do the English literature podcast and also the Big Bang Theory podcast? Kyle, we're already the guys that do the Big Bang Theory <laughs> podcast and you have a classic education and I like work as a lawyer and we're still like, yeah, let's really pick apart this fucking dog shit nonsense show like if anything, it would be more in character. We've, we have sullied ourselves with this project. <laughs> All right. Well, if you actually finish Wuthering Heights, then uh, let me know. And I will oh, oh, Bronte boys, Bronte boys. That's going to be us, the Bronte boys. Uh, 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 uh. New show. Hide thoughts. Venmo. <laughs> Give us money to talk about old books. <laughs>